Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we simply ask this morning for more of you, that you might come and fill this place and fill our hearts. That as we turn to your word, as we turn to scripture, we might hear it with new ears and see it with new eyes, that it might affect the ways that we live. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our scripture from today comes from Psalm 119, verses 1 through 8. Let us listen to God's word to us. Happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Happy are those who keep his decrees, who seek them with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous ordinances. I will observe your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the Psalter. It's like singing that song, This is the song that never ends. I know. Now the rest of you guys are going to have it stuck in your head throughout the remainder of the sermon and maybe even for the rest of the day. But Psalm 119 is like that. It just keeps going. It goes on and on, my friends. It's one of those super poetic poems in the Bible in that the way it's written has this meaning to it. It's like that exercise in school where you write out your name vertically and then beside each letter of your name you write an adjective to go with it. Psalm 119 does that. It takes that Hebrew alphabet and writes a stanza that begins with each letter. That's why it's so long, because it has to get through the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. It's beautiful. It looks pretty in the original Hebrew. It sounds pretty. And it was there in written that way, partially to help you memorize the psalm. But for us, that's completely lost, because we read it in English and not in Hebrew. What's really interesting about the longest psalm in the Bible is the fact that it talks about the word of God pretty much the whole time. God's decrees, statutes, commandments, ordinances, God's ways, precepts, all words to talk about the word of God. What does it say that the longest psalm in the entire Bible is dedicated to the subject of the word of God? I heard once of a pastor who wanted to be more in touch with the Word of God. So he took the idea from Psalm 119 and memorized a verse, each starting with a different letter of the alphabet. A. A friend loves at all times and friends are born to share adversity. B. Be still and know that I am God and so on. It was a Lenten practice for him, memorizing scripture by going through the alphabet. I think it's a pretty interesting idea until you get to the letter X, and then you're on your own. But he had a point. 
Psalm 119 is about the Word of God, so it should propel us to know the Word of God. This psalm is somewhere between a song and a prayer, and it mentions the Word of God in almost every verse. That's 176 verses dedicated to the subject of the Word of God and how God's Word is all-sufficient, how God's Word reflects God's character, which has some real practical implications when you think of Jesus Christ, the Word of God, who I'm just guessing had God's character. But this doesn't just mean that Jesus is all-sufficient. It also means the Bible, the Word of God, God's Word is all-sufficient. Do we believe that, though? Our answer to that question has some real bearing on how we treat the book of the Psalms. The very first word of the very first psalm is happy. This collection of prayer opens with how we will be happy if we avoid the wickedness of the world and follow the ways of God. In Psalm 119, it makes the same claim in a way that never ends. It really wants you to believe it, so it goes on and on. Hear it again, my friends. Happy are those who walk in the law of the Lord. Happy are those who keep his decrees, who seek him with their whole heart. Psalm 119 is claiming it knows how we can be happy. Happy, as in life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Happy, as in as long as he makes you happy. Happy, as in, I just want you to do what makes you happy. Happy, as in, and they will live happily ever after. Happiness is an obsession in our culture. Colleges pump out graduates with degrees that make them happy, but that can't get them a salary. People will forgive a dysfunctional relationship for this obsession. Sure, he's weird, and I don't think he treats her right, but she's happy. So what can I do? Well, for instance, you could tell him that he's not treating her right. But we don't, we can't, because we have learned to measure things by whether they make us happy. We measure our job by whether or not it makes us happy, our family by whether or not it makes us happy. We measure our church by whether or not it makes us happy. We measure our life by whether, in all, usually or generally, or it seems that, we are happy. So, are you happy? Are you happy with your life? My guess is that some of us would say yes. Some of us would say, eh, sometimes, and there's a few of us that might even say, no. But most of us would have a pretty quick answer, because all of us have been taught to measure each part of our lives by whether or not it makes us happy. School is bad, because it's boring and it doesn't make me happy. Buying groceries is bad, because it does not make me happy. Now, this isn't a rant against happiness. Obviously not. The Bible cares about happiness. The psalm starts with the word happy in Psalm 119. It is the phrase that never ends. And if we really believe the claim of this psalm, that the word of God is all sufficient, then we have to believe that there's something to this word happy. Because the Bible clearly cares about happiness. 
But when we use happiness to measure our lives, we're measuring wrong. There was this couple who was moving into a new house just after getting married. They were going through all the hassle of combining their furniture, his bed, her couch, the lamps, and then, of course, the recliner from Grandma. But they realized they needed a dining room table. She had been using her roommate, and his card table just wasn't going to cut it anymore. So they do what any broke couple would do. They hop on Craigslist and start looking. Too pricey, too ugly, that one's held together by duct tape. Then they see it. A gorgeous table. The picture looks amazing. It's solid. It's beautiful. This great detail work. And the price is unbelievable. 20 bucks for a dining room table. And they'll drop it off for you. So they call immediately. Here's our address. We can't wait. They get a message the next day. Table's been delivered. Start looking around, it's not outside, where is it? Maybe they got the wrong address. So they call the people who sold it. We see that the table's been delivered, but where is it? In the mailbox, they say. Sure enough, the husband walks out, and in the mailbox is a miniature table. Looks exactly like the picture, made for a dollhouse. Four inches by seven inches. You see, they'd forgotten whether the two dashes meant feet or inches, and they thought they were buying a four-foot by seven-foot table. They measured wrong. When we measure our lives by whether things make us happy, we're measuring wrong. It's putting things in the wrong order. We have a tendency to act like our happiness is determined by the situation. Buying the thing will make me happy. The new relationship will make me happy. The raise will make me happy. The newest technology or cell phone will make me happy. Everything becomes measured by whether or not it makes us happy. But that's the wrong way to measure because what we are describing as happiness here, it's simple. It's a chemical in your brain. Something new happens. You buy something new, a new job, a new experience. You accomplish something. You eat a double chocolate brownie sundae. And in your brain, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. When we say, does it make you happy, we really mean, is that giving you a nice dosage of dopamine? I think we go around measuring what we will and won't do by whether or not things make us happy. We're measuring wrong. What we end up with is a dining room table that fits inside a mailbox. Here's an issue where the church and science agree. Study after study after study will tell you that actively pursuing happiness doesn't make you happier. It actually has no effect on your happiness. Doing this because it made you happy last time, well, your brain released dopamine because it was new, but it's not new anymore, so you have to find something else. Which is why a culture that's obsessed with happiness will always be obsessed with something new, a new experience, a new show, a new phone, to get that happiness back. But despite our enthusiasm, don't you always end up with a table that fits inside a mailbox? 
Church realizes this sometimes. It realizes that we're measuring wrong, but instead of correcting our measuring stick, we say things like, well, maybe I'm not happy, but I have joy. And joy is deeper, and it comes from God, and I don't have to be happy because I have joy. Great! I like joy. Joy is good. Joy does come from God. But there are two problems with that. First of all, sometimes joy just becomes Christian speak for happy. And you can call it happy, joy, satisfaction, fulfillment, whatever you want. It'll still leave you wondering why you've got a table that fits inside your mailbox. The second reason is Psalm 119 seems to suggest that we can be happy, that even in the middle of a bad situation, happiness is possible. Look at Psalm 119. Happy are those who walk in the law of the Lord. Happy are those who keep God's decrees and search him with their whole heart. According to Psalm 119, the way you get to happiness is by immediately pursuing something else way you get to happiness is not to make happiness the point. Did you know you can be happy? Did you? Because I'm not really sure I really knew that. It goes so against the grain. Being happy is not bought, not accomplished, not reached, not gained, not given. Being happy is following after the law of the Lord. Turns out Psalm 119 speaks about the word of God in almost all 176 verses because it's in following the word of God, the laws, the statutes, the decrees, in following God's word we find happiness some point, someone convinced us that happiness is somewhere out there. We just have to go find it. Find the thing that makes you happy by measuring things by whether or not you like them. It will always end with a table in a mailbox, disappointed and already looking for something else. Instead, we need to measure things by whether or not we're following the law of the Lord. We need to measure things by whether or not we're following the law of the Lord. So my question to you now isn't, are you happy? My question is, are you following the law of the Lord? Because the truth is, when we follow the laws of God, we find that happiness has snuck in through the back door. Happiness is not an adjective we're trying to pursue. I hope that brings you some relief. It is a promise that God gives us. Happy are those who walk in the law of the Lord. Walk in my law, says God, and you will be happy. Take a look at the playground that's behind our church sometime. Or look at the playgrounds that are beside some of our schools. Notice something. These playgrounds are all surrounded by fences. Drop by some time during Mother's Day Out or VBS, drive by a school that's in session and they have recess, watch the kids. You'll see that they all are inside of a fence. They're following a set of rules. They never leave the fence that keeps them safe. And while they follow those rules, happiness sneaks in the back door. 
The space inside those fences becomes homes to obstacle courses, people playing family in the little houses, masterpieces of rock and sand. The fences don't close them off from the things out there that they need to be happy. They create a space in which kids discover that happiness is right where they are, inside the boundaries. Kids can remind us of an incredibly important lesson that too many of us forget. Happiness is not somewhere out there. If only we can just get the right thing. We don't need any more tables in mailboxes. We don't need them anymore. Because happy are those who walk in the law of the Lord, happy are those who keep God's decrees and follow him. The good news is that God is offering happiness. But we need to change our measuring stick. If we keep measuring our lives by whether or not we are happy, we will keep getting tables that fit inside mailboxes. And we will continue to be disappointed and let down. But... If we measure our lives by whether or not we are following the law of the Lord, we just might find that happiness has snuck in through the back door. And in Psalm 119, that's the promise that never ends. Let us pray. Lord, we see that you are faithful to us and that you offer us happiness. Lord, remind us that we don't have to run after it and chase it down and find something new to fill our lives with happiness. Remind us, Lord, that we are happy when we follow you, that we are content, that we are filled when we follow your word. Bring us back to you this morning and give us the courage to follow. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.